0: The reading this morning is taken from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 9, verses 1 to 9. When Jesus had called the twelve together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases, and he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal those who were ill. He told them, Take nothing for the journey, no staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra shirt, Whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that town. If people do not welcome you, leave their town and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. So they set out and went from village to village, proclaiming the good news and healing people everywhere. Now Herod the Tetrarch heard all about what was going on, and he was perplexed. Because some were saying that John had been raised from the dead, others that Elijah had appeared, and still others that one of the prophets of long ago had come back to life. But Herod said, I beheaded John. Who then is this I hear such things about? And he tried to see him. So in the 1980s,
1: uh, some of you might have come across uh, the theologian, the writer and philosopher Francis Schaeffer. And he wrote a number of books uh, which are well worth a read and are perhaps more relevant than ever today. And in one of those books, he said this, this is not an age in which to be a soft Christian. This is not an age in which to be a soft Christian. And this statement uh, that he made in the 80s is possibly truer today than when Schaeffer actually wrote those words. Because we know, don't we, that the gospel of Jesus is more often than not at a distinct odds uh, with the predominant worldview in our culture and our society today. It's at distinct odds with who we are as Christians and the gospel of Jesus. The gospel of Jesus is good news, it's hope and forgiveness and new life, but it's never soft and it's never easy and it's not always nice. From the moment Jesus uh, stepped out in ministry and called those first disciples, come and follow me, he was calling them to join him on a difficult road, one which meant that they might have to leave family and friends and community. They might have to uh, take up their cross daily, literally for some of them, and follow him. It might mean that they will be prepared to face persecution and hardship and shame in the same way that Jesus did. This was not an age to be a soft Christian. But today is an age where we too are called to be radical disciples of Jesus. Now, you might be sat there a bit like me thinking, I'm not radical, I'm just me. I'm not a radical person necessarily. Maybe some of us are sat there thinking, yeah, I am radical. But we are called to be radical disciples of Jesus simply because that is what discipleship is. It's radical, it's edgy, it's tough. It's pushing us out of our comfort zones because being a disciple is all about living out the kingdom of God. And since the moment Jesus started to teach about the kingdom of God, from the moment Jesus started to live out what that meant and demonstrate what it looks like, he was turning the world upside down. The kingdom of God is never soft. Being a disciple of Jesus, a Christian, is never a soft option. If you want that sort of religion that is easy and nice and soft, this is not the place for you. Because the good news of Jesus is radical, and it requires us to live out the truth and the values of the kingdom of God, sometimes in a hostile world. And we do that in and through the power of Jesus living in us so let's turn to this passage uh, from Luke chapter 9. I'd love it if you've got a Bible, uh, because I'm going to make you do something with that Bible. Oh, I had a Bible here and somebody's moved it. Uh, Dave, you've nicked it. Can I have it, please? Um, So if you want to grab a Bible, there are some, thank you, in the front of the balcony. There are some at the back just behind uh, that pillar over there. If you've got a Bible on your phone, this is your moment to open up your Bible app and have a look at it, because we're going to be delving into that passage Uh, So we're going to be looking at this passage from Luke chapter 9, uh, verses 1 to 9, and a few other passages as well, which is why I need you to have a Bible. And in this passage, we see uh, what it looks like as Jesus gives his disciples a radical commission. He says to them, go, go. He tells them, go from village to village and proclaim the kingdom of God. He tells them to proclaim the good news. He says, heal the sick, drive out demons, spread the good news. Now, you know, this is quite a radical thing when we're talking about being a disciple of Jesus. There's no option given to the disciples to stay where they are. He doesn't say, go if you feel like it. If you're having a good time and your house is in order, then go. He just says, go, go. And they go without question. Have you ever thought about that? That they just go without question. He's sending them out on this tough and uncomfortable mission and they just go. I think if it was me, I'd say, well, Jesus, you know, you're the one who has the power and the authority of God. Can't you come with me? Actually, you're the one who's been, been um, gathering the crowds. You're the one that people follow. You're the one who's been healing the sick and casting out demons. Why don't you come at least with us? Or why don't you go yourself and do it? Why doesn't it, they why don't they say that Why doesn't Jesus do it himself? But I think the answer to that lies in the previous few chapters, and this is why I want you to have a Bible in front of you. Why don't we look at chapters 4 to 9 of Luke's Gospel? So if you've got a Bible or a Bible on your phone, turn to chapters 4 to 8. You don't have to read it all. I'm not asking you to skim-read the whole of the Bible. Just have a flick through the pages of chapters 4 to 8 of Luke's Gospel and see what is happening in those previous few chapters. Let's just spend a minute or two doing that ourselves. If you've got the NIV, you've got all the lovely headings. I'm going to tell you everything you need to know. Okay, so maybe you've got a picture of what's been happening until uh, we get to this point in Luke nine, where Jesus says, "Go." Okay, we've got to be brave in this moment. Uh, why don't some of you shout out what you found was happening in the previous uh, few chapters? Bowl me over. Jesus was healing. Jesus was healing. He was what? He was fulfilling in his ministry. What? He was forgiving. Thanks, Georgia. He was forgiving. He seemed very busy. He was busy? Yeah. He was, Lord of the Sabbath. he was Lord of the Sabbath. Building a team. Building a team. He was tested, he was tested in the wilderness he was praying absolutely we could go on couldn't we there's so much happening in these chapters before uh, jesus sends out his disciples in luke uh, chapter 9 these are crazy days Jesus has been healing the sick, he's been raising the dead, he's been casting out demons, he's been teaching the kingdom of God, he's been saying, don't judge other people, love your enemies. He's saying, gathering the unrespectables, I'm sure that's not really a word, but gathering them around him and saying, you know, you are welcome, you are welcome in my kingdom as well. People are being transformed all over the place. He's teaching people to pray, showing the disciples what that looks like. And his followers have seen this. They've watched him. They've listened to him. They've been with him through all this time. They've questioned him. They've sat at his feet. They've been amazed by him. They've prayed with him. They've spent days and weeks and months in the presence of Jesus. Did you notice that? They have spent days and weeks and months in the presence of Jesus. Jesus' followers are only able to go. They're only able to go out in confidence and in power and authority to speak boldly to people about him, to pray for people's healing and freedom uh, and tell people about the good news that Jesus offered because They have spent time in the presence of Jesus. They've spent time in the presence of Jesus. Their ministry flows from the fact that they've spent time in the presence of Jesus. They know him. They've learned to trust him. They love him. They've received from him they've been given his power and authority and this is such a crucial point but we often miss it we're called to be disciples of Jesus to do the work of a disciple today wherever God has put us but we can only do this powerfully and effectively from a place of spending time in the presence of Jesus being filled up with his Holy Spirit, because that's what happens when we spend time in the presence of Jesus. So, how do we do this? Well, we're all different, so we all do it in very different ways. We're going to be thinking uh, after Christmas all about worship and prayer leading us into Lent. I can tell you about how I might come into the presence of Jesus. I love uh, sung worship. I love hymns. I love worship songs. It just really, they really help me enter into the presence of God. And I find it such a privilege to lead in a church like this where we do have amazing uh, worship uh, led by Mr. Mark Cameron. Well done. Um, We might not all love everything all of the time, but that's okay because that's what church is about. It doesn't mean we have to love every song or every style of worship all of the time. But I think our worship here is really helpful in terms of us coming into the presence of God. Other times, um, I just put in my headphones um, and I have, uh, just go on, if you've got Spotify, you can just find like best worship live playlists. There are some brilliant worship playlists because I'm rubbish at knowing who the latest people are. I just ask Mark uh, normally. And I put my headphones in as I walk into work. And sometimes I find myself, you know, walking through Blackhall or Newtown, uh, feeling like I'm in the presence of God, feeling like I'm in the throne room. And I'm walking along with my headphones in, singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty in my head, not out loud, just in case you were wondering. Uh, I'm not that bold and radical. Because, and I'm coming into the presence of God through that worship. Another way that I have learned to encounter Jesus and learn to love him and to trust him is just to sit in silence. If you know me, you might find that difficult to, uh, to believe, but I am a weird mix of extrovert and introvert, and I need to be silence in the, silent in the presence of God and to just listen for him and to worship him and to tell him what's on my heart and then hear what he says back to me as well. Or it might be that I encounter the presence of God as I'm praying with somebody, just normally, and you just have that sense of God being there and being filled up with his Spirit. Sometimes it's when I'm opening Scripture and I say, speak, Lord, your servant is listening, and then suddenly God speaks to me in an amazing way through the passage of Scripture that I'm reading, and I feel I'm encountering the presence of God. To be a disciple, to follow Jesus wherever we are, has to flow from a place of being filled up with his Holy Spirit, having been in his presence. Are we intentionally making time to come into the presence of Jesus in our daily lives? I wonder how you'd answer that question. Are you and I intentionally making time to come into the presence of Jesus in our daily lives? As Dave mentioned earlier, um, I've been in India a week ago, I was in India, uh, exploring the work of IJM, International Justice Mission, and the work that they do there in, in Bangalore. I didn't get a film crew with me, so you're not going to see me. And, and uh, John, you, John wasn't with me, so you wouldn't see John anyway, um, in, in Bangalore. And it's partly because, actually, it's so difficult for uh, Christian NGOs at the moment in India because of the present government there. Uh, we had to do lots of things that were undercover. Uh, shall we say. So there was no chance that we could drag a film crew around with us uh, so that I could show you uh, what we saw and what we did. But it's an amazing organization doing some incredible work in really difficult circumstances. And the work of um, IJM, uh, they work all over the world, but in Bangalore, particularly in that part of India, uh, they work to free and restore people who have been trafficked from often their villages, the other side of India, and are enslaved in industries, often in the most horrendous conditions. Uh, and even though this has been illegal since 1976 in India, uh, to, be, to, to uh, put people in bonded labor, as they call it, there are 18 million people in India who are Indian, in bonded labor at the moment. So IJM are doing an incredible but massive job there. Uh, And as well as the many uh, people uh, that we met who had been rescued and rehabilitated from that form of slavery and heard their stories, and I'll tell you all about those uh, another time, we spent time with the 50 people who work uh, for IJM in Bangalore itself. And what struck me about uh, that team uh, in Bangalore is what they do, their routine, before they do their work every day. Before they start their work every day, they spend time in the presence of God. It's part of the structure of IJM around the world. The whole team uh, spends 30 minutes, first of all, in silence in the office, uh, just waiting on God, And then they spend 30 minutes together worshipping and praying uh, for each other and for the work that they're going to do uh, that day. And it's an incredible uh, thing to be part of. And it's from this place of being filled with the Spirit of God that they then go out in power and authority to do this life-changing, radical kingdom work that they do. They are normal people. They are lawyers, they're social workers, they're communication specialists, they're people who work in the aftercare, uh, they are uh, people who are security, they're undercover investigators, they are just normal people. But their work is so clearly and starkly an extension of the ministry that Jesus was called to do when he says in Luke 4, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind, to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And maybe you're sat there thinking, well, that's great. Uh, I get it for these IJM workers, like on the front line of this sort of ministry, that they need to work from a place of being filled with the spirit of God. But that's not my life you might be thinking you know I just go to work in my office or I stay at home or I look after the children or grandchildren or do the activities that I do every day it's not exactly working to free slaves maybe not but if you and I have said yes to Jesus call follow me then we too are his disciples there is no distinction as Dave's already reminded us, between Hannah going out to Peru, those people who work for IJM in Bangalore, and us here in Edinburgh, sat in these seats in P's and G's church. This is not the age to be a soft Christian for any of us. We're called to go out and imitate Jesus and bring in the kingdom of God. And in 2019, if we're really doing it, and really living living it, it's not gonna feel soft and easy. Writer A.W. Tozer once observed this, the church has tragically neglected this great liberating truth that there is now for for the child of God, a full and wonderful and completely satisfying anointing with the Holy Spirit. The Spirit-filled life is not a special deluxe edition of christian it is part and parcel of the total plan of god for his people the spirit-filled life is not a deluxe edition of christianity it is a part and parcel of the total plan of god for his people And so imagine how yours and my daily life would would change. Your work, your relationships, your parenting, your witness uh, to your friends, your priorities might change if everything that we do, if everything that we are flows from being in the presence of Jesus and being filled with his Holy Spirit. Just imagine that. Imagine your life tomorrow, what it would look like If we were living this out in a radical way, spend time in the presence of Jesus. And on the back of spending time in the presence of Jesus, Jesus sends out his disciples to imitate him, to do what he's he's gone on to do. Tonight we're going to be baptizing two members of our church, uh, Callie and Claire, do come along if you want to, if you can, to celebrate with us and to hear uh, their stories as well. They're going to be sharing their story of how Jesus has changed their life. And I have no doubt that their story is going to encourage others. And we might not be all preachers, we might not all be missionaries, we might not all be people who can change the world in a radical way, but each of our lives is, if you like, a gospel story. It's a story of how Jesus has met with us and continues to meet with us. We all have a story, an ongoing story of how Jesus is transforming our lives through his love and his forgiveness and his power and his freedom. So don't be afraid to share your story. That's all the disciples were doing. They were going out and sharing the story of their experience with Jesus. And they saw incredible things happen and lives transformed. Jesus says, go, the time is now. Your life can speak of my transforming power. And then lastly, Jesus uh, says to his disciples in verse 3, gives them this instruction, take nothing for the journey. No staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra shirt. He's saying to them, get rid of all the trappings of your life. The things that might hinder you working for me. The things that give you security beside me. Uh, In Jesus' time, this staff was like a a big wooden stick. Uh, It was like a big walking stick, basically. Uh, And uh, men in that culture would have taken that staff with them everywhere. It helped them as they were walking along to walk steadily. um, And, you know, the roads would have been all bumpy and rough, so they needed the staff. I was thinking about, if you've ever been to India, I've never seen pavements Like it, I tell you, I was seeing the potholes in Edinburgh thinking those potholes are glorious compared to the potholes in, you'd literally be walking along a pavement in a nice area of Bangalore and suddenly the pavement would disappear and there'd just be a pile of rubble in the way and then suddenly somebody decided to build a step that high in the middle of the pavement and you'd be walking along. So I could have done with a a staff at that point for my support. But your staff was your support, but it was also like your security as well. All sorts of things could happen on the roads between villages. So it was also your defense Maybe for us today, it will be like our phone, the thing that we always pick up before we leave the house because we need it as our security and our defense. I always have my phone with me. Um, Obviously, it's a phone, so I can contact people on it, but it's also got my credit card, it's got my bus tickets, it's got um, my my security blanket to ring if I need to get in touch with anybody. But Jesus is saying to his disciples, don't take your staff. Don't take that thing which is your security blanket, your defense, because I am with you. I've given you my power and my authority. I am all you need. Learn to rely on me first. Maybe when you were first a Christian, you laid down your staff. But then if you're honest, over time, you've gradually picked that staff back up maybe you've picked up a few other things as well that you carry with you to be your security your go to your defense jesus is training his disciples he's challenging them to take a risk to trust him take nothing i am all you need he says what does that look like for you and me what or who do you rely on first before you rely on jesus it might be google It might be your bank account. It might be your abilities or gifts. It might be your friends, your spouse. I was reading this week about uh, the senior pastor of Trinity Grace Church in Brooklyn, a guy called Tyler Staten, and he said this, if I want to minister to the people of Brooklyn, I need to free myself from the idols of Brooklyn. If I want to minister to the people of Brooklyn. I need to free myself from the idols of Brooklyn. And these idols that he speaks about are uh, the idols of the city. Those things that when we look around us, people worship and rely on. Those things that have become so important to people. What are the gods of our city? Maybe it's the endless choices that we have before us or the idol of education family social media netflix or amazon prime don't want to be bias how you're seen by other people is the idol of the city the phone sugar alcohol consumerism success relationships If I want to be a disciple of Jesus in the 21st century, if I want to follow him wherever he might take me, in Edinburgh, in Scotland, or wherever it might be, there might be one or two things that have become idols for me that I need to become free from, that I need to lay down. And I think as we do that, there is incredible spiritual power As we say to to Jesus, actually, this has become really important to me in my life, but I need to lay it down and let you become the most important to me. And I think there is like a spiritual battle going on there, and that's when Jesus has the victory. What is the thing that is hindering you relying on Jesus? What would be the thing for you, the God of this city, that if you're free from serving, would free you to make that sort of spiritual statement. Jesus is my number one. So Jesus is saying to his disciples and to us today, travel light, lay down whatever's hindering you. I'm a generous God and I have given you all that you need, all my power and authority. I've given you the Holy Spirit. You don't need anything apart from this. I am all you need, he says. In Ephesians 1, Paul puts it like this. There is an incomparable great power for us who believe. Do you know that? There is incomparable great power for us who believe. And that power is the same mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the heavenly realms. We're not talking about, you know, one amp of power here. We're talking about the same power that raised Christ Jesus from the dead. And here are P's and G's um, our vision and our strategy uh, for the next five years, stretch 25, is a massive ask. And it's one that demands our whole life, individually and together. Our whole life, we need to be whole life, wholehearted, radical disciples of Jesus and that will come that will flow when we're spending time in the presence of him when we're meeting with him and letting his holy spirit fill, fill us and when we're unhindered by the idols of this city that's when we'll see people come to know jesus That's where we'll see people going, what is going on with you? What is going on in that church? Why are these people so on fire for something that is so at odds with our culture that we're living in today? This is not the time to be a soft Christian.